Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie Easton. This, this is the Sunday Seven. In today's episode, we talk to an expert about Apple's emergency software update, Musk sends civilians to space, and we speak to the founder of a company that wants to revolutionise the way we eat. But first, it was this week in 2019 that Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg told the US Congress, I know you're trying, but just not hard enough. Sorry. Two years on, she's still fighting the good cause and holding politicians accountable for their climate inaction. If you haven't updated your Apple products by now, you really might want to have a look at it. On Tuesday this week, Apple issued an emergency security update for all Apple devices. This critical software patch fixes a major security vulnerability after researchers found spyware could exploit it to hack directly into iPhones and other Apple devices without so much as a single click from the user. Yep, that's just as scary as it sounds. The malware was first found on the phone of an unidentified Saudi activist by the Canadian internet security watchdog Citizen Lab. And it's the first time this type of zero-click exploit has been caught and analysed. To find out a bit more about this, we spoke to technology journalist Chris Merriman. So, Chris, Apple releases software updates all the time. Why is this one particularly urgent and worrying? See, the thing is, Apple have always been legendary and they boast about their privacy and their security and so on. And so for them to be releasing um, an update to fix a problem with privacy is a very, very big deal, particularly it's because this particular exploit that they've discovered means that somebody can put spyware onto your Apple device without you having to... Uh, do anything. It's not like you have to uh, accidentally press a button that says install or anything like that. It'll do it in the background and you will never know. So the spyware was found on the phone of a Saudi activist who I suppose might be a likely target for hacking, but how worried should the average Apple user be? Well, the average Apple user doesn't need to worry too much because um, this patch that was released should fix the problem. Um, the, The important thing is that you make sure that you have the very, very latest firmware on all your Apple devices. And it's not just limited to iPhones. It is, um, it's iPads as well. And it's anything that runs Mac OS. So, you know, your Mac is equally uh, at risk if you don't uh, download the latest firmware, which has got this patch to stop it. How significant is it that this update came on the same day as a major product launch? Is that just a coincidence? <laughs> well, I, to be honest, I think it's it's sheer coincidence because the uh, the iPhone launch has been planned for a long time, but it's a little bit awkward. If there are some listeners, and hello, Mum, I'm talking to you, who are yet to update their devices, what message would you want to get across to them? Please, 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 please do it. And it should be best practice anyway. I know it's a faff when you get messages saying that security updates uh, need to be installed, but it is really, really important. When somebody releases a patch like this, then it is for a reason, because people are using that exploit now.
Attrapping heat from the sun, greenhouse gases have kept Earth's climate habitable for humans and allowed us and millions of other species to thrive. But those gases are now out of balance and threatening life on this planet. Extra carbon dioxide traps more thermal energy in the atmosphere, causing the planet to become warmer than it would be naturally, causing far-ranging environmental and health effects. So far to combat this, we've relied on nature-based solutions that involve conserving, restoring or better managing ecosystems to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. But now the world's largest carbon capture plant is up and running in Iceland. Swiss startup Climeworks, which specialises in capturing carbon dioxide directly from the air, has developed the Orca plant, which can suck out up to 4,000 tonnes of CO2 per year from the atmosphere. That's equivalent to the annual emissions from nearly 800 cars. The Orca plant consists of eight large containers that use high-tech filters and fans to extract the carbon dioxide. This is then mixed with water and pumped deep underground where it'll turn into rock and, well, hopefully stay there. CEO and co-founder Jan Versbacher spoke to Reuters about the plant now that it's up and running. If we want to remove something like 10 billions of tonnes of CO2 from the air every year, mid of the century, nature-based solutions will very likely not be sufficient. So basically the other uh, solution is, is doing it with technical. There are, there are a few other methods, but the other big option is technological solutions such as direct air capture and storage. And that's where really what we are building comes into play and, and will play, I'm convinced of that, a vital role and an important role in order to, to reach climate targets. Now, as ingenious as this solution sounds, not everyone is 100% on board. The 4,000 tonnes of carbon it will suck up is just a drop in the ocean, as some 40 billion tonnes of carbon are now released into the atmosphere every year. What's more, some sptics like climate scientists such as Zeke Housefather believe that the cost is far too high and the process far too complicated to replicate worldwide. And we certainly should not see it as an alternative to cutting our emissions when we can. So there's no magic bullet for climate change. There's only magic buckshot. It's thousands of different solutions working together that's going to solve the problem. Still to come on the Sunday 7th, SpaceX launches the world's first amateur astronaut crew. And if you're accident prone, meditation could help you make fewer mistakes mistakes. This week, the billionaire space race achieved yet another milestone. On Thursday, Elon Musk's SpaceX launched the world's first amateur astronaut crew to orbit Earth, marking the biggest advancement so far in space tourism. Called Inspiration 4, the mission blasted off from Pad 39A at NASA's Kennedy Space Center and sent four crew members on a three-day orbital flight around Earth that will end with a splashdown in the Atlantic Ocean this weekend. They'll travel to an altitude of 357 miles above ground, which is actually higher than both the space station and the Hubble Space Telescope. Flying with SpaceX are billionaire tech entrepreneur and mission commander Jared Isaacman and geoscientist and science communicator Sean Proctor as the mission's pilot. Also on board are physician assistant Haley Arsenault, serving as the chief medical officer, and data engineer Chris Sembroski as mission specialist. Ahead of the space flight, the crew shared their thoughts on the launch and what it meant to them. Here's Sean Proctor expressing her feelings on her historic journey as the first ever black female spacecraft pilot. I am a mission pilot and it's really special for me to hold that title uh, because I'm going to be the first black female pilot of a spacecraft. 
there have been three black female astronauts that have made it to space, and knowing that I'm going to be the fourth means that I have this opportunity to not only um, accomplish my dream, but also inspire and inspire the next generation of women of color and, and girls of color and, and really get them to think about reaching for the stars and what that means. Um, so I feel very fortunate to have that. And they're not just doing it for a jolly. Whilst they're up there, the crew are going to conduct medical experiments that will help researchers better understand spaceflight's effects on the human body. Here's Chief Medical Officer Haley Arsenal and Mission Commander Jared Isaacman. We're, we're really excited about the ultrasound. You know, we've all gotten briefed on ultrasound and uh, to evaluate the fluid shifts. And it's, a, it's really unique that this is flying with us. And so um, I know the docs at SpaceX are really excited about it, and so we are too. Some of the ultrasound ones, you know, will give us some insight into intracranial pressure, which may help understand some things that, you know, some vision-related issues that have impacted astronauts previously. Um, but this is going to be important, too, because they're going at our uh, orbital altitude. It is a higher radiation profile than would, would be observed at the space station. Um, and the greater the understanding we can have on that, the better planning we can make for uh, future long-duration missions like going to Mars. ancient practice with deep spiritual and religious significance. Thought to have originated in India several thousand years ago, it's only in recent decades that it's gained popularity in the West. The practice is known to have a plethora of benefits for your mental and physical health, and now researchers from Michigan State University have found that meditation could potentially help you make fewer mistakes. The experiment involved opening monitoring meditation, which is a form of meditation that asks you to just pay attention to what's going on, unlike other forms of meditation where you might be encouraged to pay attention to your breathing, for example. The open monitoring meditation is really uh, a more kind of a, a diffuse employment of attention. And the idea was to see, you know, how that particular form of meditation might influence uh, people's performance on these cognitive tasks afterwards. That's lead author Jeff Lynn, not him from ELO. He's a clinical psychologist and postdoc scholar in the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at Michigan State. The study involved 212 participants, half of them made up the control group and the other half were taken through a 20-minute meditation exercise while the researchers measured brain activity through EEG. They then completed a computerised distraction test. What we really found was that there was no difference. Uh, between meditators and non-meditators in behavioral performance. So no difference in errors or reaction time. But really the key, the central difference, was that meditators showed an increase in a brain signal called air positivity, which although we don't know definitively what that reflects, uh, there's some evidence to suggest that it indexes uh, this idea of conscious air recognition. So there weren't huge differences between the test scores of those who did and those who didn't meditate. Does that make this a failed experiment? Eh, well, Jeff doesn't think so. There's interesting, very interesting basic research that links this brain signal, the air positivity, with the kind of the physiological processes that occur after we make mistakes. So, for example, increased heart rate, uh, maybe some physiological anxiety that occurs right after a mistake. And that's something that I think all of us can kind of relate to. And so the notion is, uh, by training ourselves to kind of be aware of what's going on in the present. One, I think, interesting idea that definitely needs further testing 
um, but is nonetheless intriguing is that it, by doing that, we might be able to more tune in with the physiological cues that accompany an air. And I think this is an important, a very important and valuable, but understated aspect of um, the experience of making a mistake, right? If we want to avoid errors in, in the future, then it's probably pretty important uh, to be aware of them now. Still to come on the Sunday 7, a no-needle blood sugar test has arrived and we talk to the founder of Square Eat, a startup that's on a mission to revolutionize food and how we consume it. Right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso. Or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. The world's first needle-free diabetes test has been developed and it's been labelled as the holy grail of blood sugar testing. For diabetics, managing their blood sugar levels typically means pricking their fingers multiple times a day and then placing a drop of blood on a testing strip. Understandably, some diabetes sufferers would quite like to avoid doing that. Lucky for them, researchers at the University of Newcastle in Australia have come up with a pain-free alternative. Here's Paul Dastor, the lead researcher, explaining the process to ABC's Fran Kelly. Yeah, so what we've done is we've been able to develop sensors that we can print using electronic inks that can detect glucose at concentrations that are 100 times lower than the glucose is in your blood. And that's important because glucose is in your saliva, it follows your blood glucose concentration, but of course it's at that very low concentration, 100 times lower. And because the electronic materials are inks, the cost of these tests can be kept really low. But if glucose levels are 100 times lower in saliva than in blood, how on earth does this work? What we're able to do is, because these inks are all based on carbon, and biomolecules, things like enzymes, are also based on carbon, we've been able to stir them directly into the transistor ink and then use that right at the point where the transistor is most sensitive. And so we embed, for example, in this case, an enzyme for glucose right in the transistor structure, and that's how we get that amazing sensitivity. Because of this method, the researchers could even embed other types of enzymes, allowing them to test for other types of diseases. They're already working with Harvard University on a test for COVID-19 using the same technology, and have also begun looking at sensors for other biomarkers for things like cancer, hormones and allergies. It's so exciting because it is a platform technology. In fact, we've yet to find a biomolecule we can't put into the structure. We wanted to build something that would enable you to easily capture and share experiences from your point of view. And we thought, if we're gonna build best-in-class glasses, a great place to start is with the iconic Ray-Ban frames that people already love. So I'm proud to introduce to you Ray-Ban Stories. 
Yep, that's right. Mark Zuckerberg and his pals at Facebook are the latest tech company to dip their toes into the world of video glasses. Last week, the social media giant unveiled what they called Ray-Ban Stories, a collaboration with the luxury eyewear brand. It's Facebook's first pair of smart glasses and allows wearers to capture photos and videos, which you can, of course, share to Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram. And with their built-in speaker, you can also listen to music and take calls. And this is just the start. Ray-Ban stories are an important step towards a future when phones are no longer a central part of our lives. And you won't have to choose between interacting with a device or interacting with the world around you. This isn't the first smart pair of glasses to be released. If you cast your memory back to 2013, Google Glass was met with backlash over privacy concerns and the project was abandoned a couple of years later. Snapchat's slightly more successful offering launched in 2016 and now Facebook's following their footsteps. Knowing them, you may have questions about privacy with these glasses too. In an attempt to thwart creepy covert recordings, there's a small red LED that lights up when you're recording. But from what we've seen, it's pretty subtle. To allay these fears, BBC Click's Chris Fox talked to Andrew Bosworth, Facebook's head of AR and VR, to find out a bit more. I mean, I think to some degree we deal with this today. You've got mobile phones that people have out there that all have cameras on them. Um, And so there is a degree to which our goal was to be, you know, at least more overt than what people are doing today with their phones. And I think we've achieved that goal. You know, if you have your phone out, you could be taking pictures. There's really no way for bystanders to know that you're doing that. Uh, And people are known to have their phones out. <laughs> so so I think the, the, the glasses are, we think, quite a bit more overt than that. You have the LED, you also have an audio sound, and you also have to take an explicit action. So I either have to move my hand to my temple and press the button, or I have to use my voice to say, uh, take a picture if I've enabled that feature. And this isn't something we left to chance. We, we knew this was one of the most important things to get right. I think it's a great product. I've been using it myself. Um, but it is like the first in a series of products that give people more functionality and more capability through a, a pair of glasses. Welcome to Spirit Lab, where we transform regular food in squares. Let's go. Oh yes, you heard that exactly right. There's a company on a mission to transform the face of food into squares. If you haven't already seen Square Eats products circling the web, a Miami-based startup has created modular square food produced by transforming raw food into standardised 50-gram puck-like squares. Appetising, I know, but bear with me. With more than 20 recipes, including asparagus, basmati rice, sea bass, beef and chocolate pancake. That's beef and chocolate pancake, not a beef and chocolate pancake. That would be disgusting. The startup says the compacting food process results in no loss of nutrients during cooking or storage. Despite their, frankly, well, quite dull appearance, co-founder Maria Laura of Acaflores assures us that the squares are actually 100% real food. Like our chicken square is 90% chicken breast and the other 5% is the spices like um, rosemary or salt, pepper. You know, there's nothing, nothing. You can give it to like any person, any age, woman, man, kid. Now that you know that the squares are actually food, your next question might still be, why on earth does this product exist? But bear with, the idea first came about from another founder, Paolo, who struggled to find convenient, healthy food on the go. After trying all the meal plans and still feeling unsatisfied, Square Eat was born. Okay, and the square shape? We strongly uh, believe that the square is an attractive and futuristic shape 
that communicates exactly the soul of our project. So we want to revolutionize the ready-to-eat meal plan uh, by giving a customer something that they never tried before. It's obvious when you think about it, but the shape also has a lot to do with logistics. We uh, think that this square shape is, is going to help us to run a mass production while keeping minimum staff on site. You might now be wondering, how do they get regular looking food into those tiny looking squares? We achieve our square shape thanks to our innovative cooking methods based on low temperature cooking and thermal shocking. That's when food is reduced to very low temperatures in a very short amount of time. This helps minimise bacteria growth and helps with their unique shapes. But now for the crucial question. What on earth does it taste like? The sweet potato and the chicken are my favourites. And the quinoa, oh my God, I love the quinoa. They are pretty similar to the uh, real ones, but I will say it's more like a soft, tender. The veggies are like a, like a very delicate patty, you know? Okay, they will have a different maybe texture from the real broccoli, of course, but that's what people like it because, oh my God, I don't like the broccoli texture and I don't know how it looks and I don't know how it tastes. For the Square Eat team, this is the future of food. But if you're on the sceptical side of things, Maria Laura has a message for you. Before giving an opinion, you should try it. This has been The Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.